Man, are you thankful for God today? Praise the Lord. Offer him applause for his faithfulness and his goodness. Amen. And, uh, and just as an important note, how many people got the tree up this week? Anybody? Okay. Yeah, quite a few. Quite a few not. Okay. I thought that was the tradition. The tree went up after the turkey was eaten. Okay. Some of you maybe this week, it's coming. Yeah. Well, our tree's up. Our tree's up. Matter of fact, all of our decorations are up. We're on top of it this year. Inside and out, we're ready to go. Now, there's, there's no gifts under the tree yet. That's coming. We'll start loading the gifts uh, here pretty soon, a, a gift at a time. And boy, as those gifts go under the tree, the excitement starts to build, right? The anticipation starts to build. I mean, you know what those gifts are. Those gifts are the source of all happiness. Those gifts are going to answer all our questions. They're going to solve all of our problems. Those gifts are the meaning of life. Now, never mind that a good many of them will be in a landfill very soon. That's, that's, well, you know what? That's another sermon. We're not going there today. You know, folks, actually, I want us to be excited about the gifts. I want us to be excited about diving in under the tree and getting those gifts because they really can change our life. Those gifts really can be something for us. Now, I'm not talking about the tree you put up Friday or Saturday or that you'll put up next weekend. I'm talking about another tree that has gifts. Now, this tree actually doesn't have any, any lights on it. This tree has no candy canes or no strand of popcorn. It has no picture of the kiddos. As a matter of fact, this tree is not even, it's not even green. As a matter of fact, we don't even actually refer to this as a tree very often. The Bible does. A couple occasions it does. 1 Peter 2 is one place where it refers to this as a tree. We usually refer to it as what? The cross. That's right. The cross. I'm not trying to skip Christmas, by the way, and just get to Easter. No, the, the, the Bible shows us a tree, and under that tree are gifts. Folks, you and I have a, an eternal wealth of gifts that come for one reason, because Jesus Christ entered this world. That's what we're celebrating this coming month, right? That's what we're celebrating Christmas. Man, Jesus has entered the world. God has come in flesh. And that's what we're celebrating. And with him coming comes a load of gifts. And I want us to dive in under these next couple Sundays and start looking at these gifts that are there under the tree. And the good news is when you find one you like, open it up, wear it, enjoy it. There's no problem. There's no trouble for opening these gifts early. Have you ever opened gifts early? Have you ever gotten caught opening gifts early? Yeah, I did. I was seven years old. I couldn't handle it anymore. The anticipation was too much, and I carefully unwrapped each gift that was mine, discovered what it was, and then as only a seven-year-old could, I carefully rewrapped it so that nobody could understand or see my crimes. Apparently, a seven-year-old cannot rewrap so that mom and dad don't notice. Time does not allow today for me to go into the details that followed my parents' discovery of my opening all my gifts. The good news is we can open these gifts and enjoy them. We're going to look at passages. I hope I don't ruin your Christmas season. We're not going to spend as much time this year. We will when we get a little closer. But we're not going to spend as much time this year in the traditional Christmas passages because we're just going to look at the gifts that come with Jesus Christ entering this world. So we're going to start today in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. If you don't have a Bible with you, I hope you'll grab one of, their, one of ours there in front of you or have somebody hand it to you and let's study along together. Ephesians 
right after the book of, books of Corinthians and Galatians, you get to Philippians and Colossians, you've gone too far. Ephesians chapter 1, one simple verse today, short verse. Ephesians 1, 7, it says, In Him, that's Jesus, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Now my dad, my dad is rich. Now I'm, I'm not trying to drive us toward a materialistic Christmas. I'm not trying to get it caught up in that trap of defining Christmas as good or bad based on the number of gifts or the cost of the gifts. I'm just telling you a fact. My dad's rich. And that's good news. Because the gift he provides comes from a wealth that you and I do not possess. Psalm chapter 49, verses 6 and 7, very important, says they trust in their wealth and they boast of their abundant riches, but these cannot redeem a man or pay his ransom to God. You know, folks, there's two kinds of gifts if you'll kind of stop and think about it. There's two kinds. Everything under that tree is going to fall under one of these two categories. Now, most of the gifts, maybe this year, all of your gifts, but most of our gifts fall in the category of something we could have actually bought for ourselves, right? We get a lot of gifts that, I mean, I could have gone out and gotten that myself. No doubt this year, somebody in here is getting a sweater. I mean, what Christmas would be without a sweater? And you're going to be appreciative of that sweater. You're going to love that sweater. You're going to wear that sweater until it's worn out for Christmas is to come. Great gift. Very appreciative. You could have gone out and gotten yourself that sweater, couldn't you? Yeah, a lot of us could have. So that's, that's one kind of gift. Most of our gifts are things we could have done for ourselves. Then there's another kind of gift, a little bit more rare. And that is a gift we could have not gotten for ourselves. Something we didn't have the ability to do for ourselves. That kind of gift stands out a little bit more. I, I got one of those gifts last week. This church gave Karen and I a trip to Israel on the occasion of our 10th anniversary. Man, that, that is a gift we've talked about, a gift we've longed for. We've thought about that at different times, wanted to do that. But we've just had no ability in our marriage to do something like that. Looking out into the future with car insurance and weddings and college education, I don't see that, didn't see that coming anytime soon either. But you gave us the ability to do something that we couldn't have done for ourselves. That's a pretty cool gift, isn't it? Man, anytime you get something you could have never had, never done yourself, that gift stands out. But you know what I just described is not actually a perfect illustration of the gift that we're talking about this morning. You see, I said that Karen and I did not have the ability. I did not say it was an impossibility. There's a difference, right? There's, sometimes there's the things that we just don't have the ability to do. That's not saying it's an impossibility. I mean, I suppose Karen and I could have started early in marriage and said, hey, this is somewhere we want to go. This is something we want to do. And we could have started setting us out, set aside a certain amount of money for X number of years. And then one day that would have happened. Or we could have just, as is the American way, just put down the credit card and done it. I don't recommend that, by the way. Maybe we could have just gone and asked somebody, right? Maybe, maybe we all know somebody of means. Hey, would you do this for us? Would you send a... Now, those ways might not have been very successful. They might not have really accomplished getting Karen and I there. But while we did not have the ability, that's not to say it was an impossibility. 
Folks, the gift that we're talking about today that God has provided for us, not only do we not have the ability to purchase this gift, it is an impossibility. You see, the high cost of sin has put you and I in a place, in a position where no amount of time, no amount of money, no amount of ingenuity is going to pay for, is going to fix, is going to solve this problem. I quoted Psalm 49 a moment ago. If you go down a few verses later, I think about verse 9 or 10, it goes on to say that you and I can't even go get somebody to pay for this gift. One man cannot redeem the life of another. So when we say, man, my dad's rich, this is a big deal. Because it's out of that richness that he is going to purchase for us a gift that you and I not only don't have the ability, but it's an impossibility. And it is out of the richness of our dad that he moves in a way to forgive us. He moves in a way to correct, to remove that which is between us and him. Now, folks, while we enjoy talking about the fact and love the fact that our God is loving, our God is gracious, our God is kind, our God would actually forgive us of sin, our God is also holy. He's also just. He's also true. And God does not set aside His justice so that He can forgive us. Both want to be equally satisfied. Both need to be equally satisfied. Satisfied. We need to grasp, we need to understand that God forgiving us is not just an issue of you and I catching God at the right moment. Catching God in a good mood. Catching God on a good day. God forgiving us is not God just saying, oh, it doesn't matter. No, it absolutely does matter to God. Forgiveness is not God going, ah, you, you did your best. God isn't looking for your best. He's looking for perfection and holiness. That's how you and I live in heaven. That's how you and I live in relationship with God, in perfection and holiness. God is not just saying, well, you know what? I just decided it's not going to be that big of a deal. No, it is a big deal. Sin is always a big deal. So now God in His love must move and work in a way that satisfies both that love, but also the justice. One verse I like a lot, this simple verse that I think kind of encapsulates both of these ideas, is Romans 5.8. It says God proves or God demonstrates His what? His love. See, He's fulfilling that loving nature. God proves His love in that while we were sinners, Christ, He died. There's the justice. Yeah, see, there's a cost for that sin. Christ died. Now, the passage we're looking at this morning... Ephesians 1.7 doesn't refer to death, it refers to His blood. And blood is the word used most often in relation to our forgiveness. Because how do you get to the blood? Through death. There has to be a sacrifice to attain to, to get to that blood. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now if I was God, I don't know if I'd have made it that way. It seems like we could have done this easier. Why, why does there have to be shedding of blood? Man, what a great way for God to communicate to you and I the high cost of sin. You know, I think you and I, we will attribute the high cost of sin to certain people and to certain sins, won't we? 
We'll say, yeah, I can understand death or the cost of a life being the cost of, of certain people's sins. Uh, 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 Hussein, uh, Hitler, uh, 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 of rape, of murder, of harming children. We'll look at certain people, we'll look at certain sins. Well, yeah, I understand the high cost of that. But if you're like me, you, don't, you rarely attribute that kind of cost to your sins and my sins. But see, the reality is, folks, the Scripture says very clearly, Old and New Testament, very consistently, over and over, that your greed has the same cost. Your selfishness and my selfishness, same cost. Our little lies, I've never told a big lie, have you? All my lies are very little. Yeah, that's what they cost. They cost blood, they cost life. Little gossiping, I mean, I don't gossip, I'm just passing important information for important reasons. Yeah, it costs blood. Do we get that? The answer is no, we don't. We rarely attribute that kind of cost. So it's actually very important that God said, it costs life, it costs the shedding of blood, because without it, you and I would never get it. We would never get that it cost this kind of thing. How's the blood of Christ get attributed to our lives? He's done this work. He's gone to the cross and died. He has shed that blood. But how is it applied to our lives? Notice the first two words in verse 7. In Him. Always think, folks, prepositions are important. Understand the prepositions you're reading. Notice it doesn't say through Him. I mean, that'd be kind of the same thing, right? Through Christ we have forgiveness. Through His blood. No, not through you can go through somebody and have no relationship at all. I bet most of us in here say, hey, call this person, go through them, they'll get you the tickets. Yeah, you can go through somebody and have no relationship with them at all. But to be in somebody, that implies a relationship, doesn't it? In implies a closeness, a proximity, an intimacy. In Christ, we can be redeemed. In Christ, that payment He made at the cross is applied to your life and my life and we are redeemed. We are ransomed. Ransomed from what? Out of sin, out of death. It owns you. Sin and death outside of Christ owns you and me. We are enslaved to it. But by His blood, we can be redeemed. We can be purchased out of sin and death in Him. Redeemed. A ransom paid. Love fulfilled, justice satisfied. Notice one other word, folks, there today. The word trespasses. There's a couple of words, actually. Not just one, there's a couple of words for that idea, that concept that you and I call sin. The word used here is the word trespasses. We don't use that word a lot. We just use that word when we're saying what? The Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, that's about the only time we use that. But that word's used right here. Forgive us, we're forgiven of our trespasses. You know what that word means? Unfaithful, treacherous acts. Here again, just like we don't attribute the high cost, do you think of your sins as unfaithful, treacherous acts against God? I don't. I really don't. I, I make mistakes. I have slips. I have things I wish I hadn't done, and I, I did. I've got things I should have done. Ah, I didn't. I'm sorry. God forgive me of that. 
I don't usually look at my sins as unfaithful, treacherous acts. And maybe, maybe some of them are kind of small. Maybe some of them are, are just slips and are just mistakes. But the reality is, folks, that I have and you have sins. A lot of sins that actually are just that. Unfaithful, treacherous acts. How incredible that God would forgive. You know, folks, I think we can talk about words in this passage and what they mean and we can understand them. I can explain them and you get it. You understand it. And yet I think one of our great weaknesses on this side of heaven, what a thought as we come through a week of Thanksgiving is that you and I can never fully be appreciative of forgiveness. I think we'll try. I think we want to. I I think we'll run up on it, but we will never be fully appreciative because you and I are never going to get the incredible depth of our indebtedness. We just don't get it. There are some of you in here who struggle so deeply with guilt. And yet even to that person, I would say, you don't get the depth of your sin and offensiveness to God. You and I do not get the depth of our treachery our treachery against a God who's never been anything but loving and faithful to us. But that's just on one side of the spectrum we, get, we don't get it. Not only do we not get the depth of our indebtedness, we don't get the high, precious, priceless value of the very Son of God. I mean, we're, we, we can't go either direction. We can't go high enough on Christ or low enough in understanding our sin And because we can't, we're never going to fully appreciate. Now, God knows. God knows you and I can't make the math on this work. He knows we're not going to get there on this side of heaven. And so God gives certain things into our lives. The Bible, the Holy Spirit, the church, the Lord's Supper. He brings certain things into our life to keep this value in front of us, to help us grasp, to help us to understand this value. You know, if you're like me, you can kind of get going in your prayer life and you can kind of just get in a routine. You come to that that point in your prayer life where it's time to say you're sorry, right? And you say, God, I'm sorry I did. And you think of the things that you didn't do right or the things that you should have done yesterday. God, I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for that. Would you please forgive me? I'm sorry, I, 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 I did that. Whew, thank you for forgiving me. And, and on we go to the good stuff in our prayer life. All the stuff we want. And we just kind of blow right through that. And I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to confess sin without thinking about its cost. Without thinking about the value of the gift of forgiveness. And then all of a sudden, you and I are brought to this table and it's like, whoa, wait a minute. It actually took a broken body. It actually took spilled blood for me to have the opportunity to say, God, I'm sorry, and that be heard. And that sin forgiven. What an incredible promise God gives us in 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, He is faithful. I'm not. He is just. I'm not. To forgive us of all our sins. To cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Folks, it is on the wealth of the blood of Jesus Christ that that promise is made. In a moment, we'll begin to hand all these elements out. You know kind of our tradition in that moment of silence. And it's not a long moment, not long enough. 
But in that moment, as the, as the deacons are handing this out and you're kind of waiting for me to get up and, and lead you through the, the taking of the bread and the juice, that's a moment for confessing sins, isn't it? How do I appreciate this gift if I'm holding on to things that devalue the gift? Does that make sense? How do I appreciate it if I'm going to hold on to my anger and bitterness towards you? And there might be anger and bitterness out there, but can you imagine some of these passages that talk about the importance of you and I loving each other? How do I come to this moment and appreciate such a gift while I hold on to my disliking of you, my distrusting of you, my gossiping about you, my unforgiving of you? See, all of a sudden now, we, hey, wait a minute. Whoa, wait, wait before I take this, I've got to confess sin. Hey, God, I'm sorry that there's things in my life And as I like to say, because I don't believe this time's long enough, I hope that as we come to the Lord's table, that you begin a process that kind of goes on in through the rest of the day, right? Hey, God, not only do I come to this table and confess some sins that come to my mind right now, but when I get home today, God, I'm going to take a few minutes and just stop and pause and say, God, what else is there between you and me? What attitudes, what relationships, what actions am I holding on to in life that, that in your eyes devalue what you've done for me, what you've given me in this gift of forgiveness? You know, folks, I think that most of our problems are because we don't value this gift. Most of our sinful choices, our sinful actions, are you and I trying to find value and worth in this world or in a certain relationship or in a certain situation. And because we're so desperate to get that value, to get that love, we'll lie, we'll cheat, we'll steal, we'll act out, we'll demand our right, we'll demand our... Because I've got I've to find worth and value and all the while missing. Do we not see what the value God is placing on us as we come to this moment? God looked at you and said, you are worth the blood of my very son, Jesus Christ. How much more do you and I need to be valued? He could have, should have looked at you and me and said, no, no, they're not worth it. But he said, yes, he's worth it to me. She's worth it to me. So maybe, folks, as we come to this table and we confess our sins, maybe we're also motivated, encouraged, aided a little bit as we understand the great value that God places on us. That that, that motivates us. Maybe a little bit more energy this week to, to choose friendship with God over friendship with the world. Maybe it motivates us a little bit more to strive after the ways of God over the, over the ways of the world. You are so incredibly loved. And the only way that you and I can experience that love is to be forgiven of our sins. And God went and purchased a gift so that you and I could. A gift we could never have ever, ever, ever gotten for ourselves. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, it's easy for us to say the word forgiveness and just say, thank you, thank you, God, for forgiving my sins. Lord, I would imagine most, probably all of us, we know we have sins in our life. We've got sins before we came to faith in Christ and we've got sins after we came to faith in Christ. We've got sins that we committed in ignorance and in weakness. We've also got sins that we've committed in full knowledge and understanding of how that was a treachery against your heart. I guess there's all kinds of ways we can look at our sins, all kinds of categories that we can have for them. How precious the promise that if we confess our sins, all of them, all, all categories, whatever category it falls in, if we confess them, you're so faithful to forgive all of them. And God, we do want to appreciate that. We do want to respect that. We want to live in light of this great gift. And so God, as we come to this table today and we remember the broken body and the spilled blood it took to purchase this gift. I pray we not only use this time to confess those sins and enjoy your forgiveness. We don't have to beg for it. It's already there. It's already been bought. It's already been given. But God, in enjoying that forgiveness, we're motivated to think a little bit more carefully. How would I live today if I genuinely understood how much I'm loved? How would I live this week if I genuinely lived as a person who's been forgiven of this incredible debt at such a high cost? Guide us in thinking through that, that we might take just a little step closer to valuing and appreciating this incredible gift. In Jesus' name, amen.